You know, the idea of being healthy is nothing new. Anybody here ever desire to be healthy physically? Anybody here desire just to be sick all the time? Let's ask that question. Anybody? Like, I, I, I like being sick. No, physically speaking, I'm sure every one of us long to be healthy. I was reading an article the other day in uh, Christianity Today, and uh, it was telling of a doctor who had one of his patients in for a visit, and he tells his patient, he says, you're healthy, I find no signs of disease, and I've got some good news. Your blood pressure and your weight are all within the normal limits as well. And so the patient walked out, he was excited. Well, the very next day, he walks into the gym and uh, approached his physical fitness director, his fitness instructor, and the fitness instructor said, you're in terrible shape. Your resting pulse rate and body fat percentage are way above normal. Your flexibility is at best poor, and you just flunked the very initial treadmill test. How can both guys be right? The doctor said, you're healthy, all's well. The fitness instructor said, you're in terrible shape. All of us struggle when it comes to this idea of being healthy. And so when we have, you know, it's like, it's like the old adage. You remember years ago they said eggs were good for you. Then they said eggs are bad for you. Now they say eggs are good for you. I'm not even sure what eggs are anymore. Did the chicken come first or the egg? I don't know. I mean, uh, then it was milk. You know, it's like dairy's good, dairy's bad. You know, and then when I was a kid, you know, eat of the five, five food groups, you know. Fruit snacks, fruit snacks, fruit snacks, and fruit snacks, you know? And, and so, I, so I don't even know this idea of healthy is something that I think really all of us long to be uh, and, and have really thought about at some point in our life. Whether you're, you know, kids may, teenagers may say, I, I haven't really thought about it yet. You know, you will. You will soon and very soon. You'll start thinking about these things. But spiritually speaking, what are biblical indications that we individually and corporately are healthy? And then quite frankly, as the message series indicates, what does it look like to be a healthy church? Well, hopefully over the next couple of months, we'll start to understand what a healthy church looks like, not from man's perspective, not from my perspective, but from a biblical perspective. And so this morning, I think, first of all, it would be beneficial for us to understand, number one, exactly what is the church? If we're going to talk about healthy church, we have to understand what is the church? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus speaking to uh, Peter, he said, he said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, he's speaking of himself, he says, I will build, whose church does he say he's going to build? By the way, before we get going, he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Acts chapter 2, Scripture reveals much about the early church. By the way, Jesus says, I will build my church in Matthew 16. Then the early church gets on fire and we start to see things take place in Acts chapter 2. Well, in Acts chapter 2, um, the Bible tells us from verses like 41 to 47 there, it tells us how the Lord added unto the church daily such as should be saved. In Acts chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 15, and Galatians 1, these all passages, these passages indicate that before his conversion, the church is actually what Paul or Saul was persecuting. Jesus, when he had that Damascus Road experience, he comes to Paul and he says, why do you persecute me, my church? He's speaking of his church. And so we find that uh, in Acts chapter 8 and following. In Ephesians 5, in verse 23, the Bible reminds us that Christ 
is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Verse 25 of that same passage says Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 29 says that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. And so the church, what we find, folks, is the church is incredibly important to Jesus. And I think he wants us to be healthy, don't you? I think he desires for us to be healthy. In Colossians 1, verse number 18, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And so the English word that we find in Scripture for church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ecclesia, and it's a compound word, and a quick etymology of this word will reveal to us that the word ecclesia comes from the word or the preposition ek, which means, which means out of, from, or away from, and then the verb kaleo, which means to call, or more literally, it means I call. See, Jesus is the one who calls us, right? And so when we look at these words put together, it actually means to call out. And 96, it's between 95 and 97% of the time that it's used in the New Testament, this word ecclesia is referencing a local called out assembly. Now we could sit here all day and have a discussion about the universal church versus the local New Testament church. But in scripture, 96% of the time ecclesia is used in the New Testament, it's referenced Referencing, excuse me, a local called out assembly. Therefore, by definition, when we compare scripture with scripture, we would say that the church is a called out assembly of baptized believers. In his short book, in his short book What is a Healthy Church? The author Mark Deaver actually answers the specific question concerning church health by defining it as such. He says these words. A congregation that is increasingly reflecting God's character just as his character has been revealed in his word. So if we're going to be a healthy church, he says that the more we learn about Jesus and the more we reflect his character in our lives, that's going to be indication of our health. He goes on to say this. He says, a healthy church is not a church that's perfect or without sin. Amen? I'm so thankful that we don't have to be perfect and without sin because we would be in trouble. He says, a healthy church is not a church that's perfect or without sin. It has not figured everything out. Go figure. He goes on, he says, rather it's a church that continually strives to take God's side in the battle against ungodly desires and the deceits of the world, our flesh, and the devil. He says, it's a church that continually seeks to conform itself to God and his word. He sums up his findings by saying this. He says, a healthy church is less about a place that looks a certain way and more about a people who love the right way. I think that's good. A healthy church is less about this facade, this room, the carpet. It's less about the things that we have going on in the room and more about how you and I walk out of these doors. Remember, we say every Sunday the church has left the building, how we walk out the doors and we love people the right way. And I have been hammering for four and a half years saying, just love people enough to be willing to share the truth, but be careful how you share the truth. Do it in an actual loving way. You can do those things at the same time. We don't have to beat the world down. 
The church at Corinth, if you've ever read this book, you know that the church at Corinth is a church that was struggling. And sometimes the local New Testament church struggles. We here at Battlefield Baptist Church have uh, been blessed for nearly 38 years. This coming uh, fall will be 38 years the Lord has, has worked here on this hill. But there have been times that we still are able to grow and to learn from our past mistakes. You say, do you ever make a mistake? Yeah, we do. That's called life. We make mistakes. And obviously, this church at Corinth, they were struggling. And so Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians to try to correct some of the problems that were going on. They were unhealthy. And so what we find is that he's writing because, quite frankly, in the church at Corinth, there were some troublemakers. So he writes to correct the troublemakers. There were also some of these people. Uh, have you ever met anybody that's opinionated? Oh, really? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> you met some people that are opinionated? Uh, well, the church of Corinth was full of them. I got news for you. The only thing Jesus cares about is what we do with him. He's not concerned with the color of the pew. He's not concerned with the color of the wall. He's not concerned. These are beautiful flowers, beautiful lectern. I love this. This I, only thing is... I, I don't have my armrest. It's different. This is beautiful. He's not concerned with these. He's concerned with what are we going to do with Jesus today? It doesn't matter what the name of the church is on the front. It doesn't matter whether their worship style is contemporary. It doesn't matter whether they have drum sets and lights and smoke and mirrors, dark ceilings, lit ceilings, black ceilings. It doesn't matter. What, hit, what matters to Jesus is what are you doing with me? Are you a healthy church? Are you a healthy Christian? And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we become this healthy church? And so we read in Scripture how the Apostle Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to communicate a message that's still profitable for us today. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but I want you to go back. Travis began reading in verse number 10. I want you to look back at verse number 5, because this kind of sets up this idea here in verse 10 and following. In verse 5, Paul says, who then is Paul? Now hold on guys, Paul's the one who started the church at Corinth. It's Jesus' church, but he was the, the founding pastor, if you please. He was the pastor skinner of the church at Corinth. But guess what? Paul says, it ain't about me, it ain't about Apollos, it's about God who gives the increase. Notice what he says. He says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man, question mark. He says, I have planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything. If you plant, he says, I'm nothing, is what he's saying. I'm nothing. He says, neither is he that watered. He says, Apollos is nothing, but God that giveth the increase, he's something. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, he says, I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. The only one who is worthy of anything is the one who planted the work. The one who gave the increase, and his name is Jesus. Now, verse number 8, notice what it says. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man, notice these words, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, which is what Travis referenced in the passage that we read this morning. For we are laborers together with God. And then Paul says these words, to the church. He's writing to a church, not an individual. 
He says, ye, speaking of you as the body of believers at Corinth, he says, ye are God's husbandry. Basically, that word husbandry means this. He says, you are the tilled or cultivated field of God. God is the gardener. He's the, he's the one who grows the crops, if you please. And then he turns his, his, uh, his illustration to an architectural kind of illustration. Notice he says, not only are you God's husbandry, he says, you're God's building. He says, you're the building, church, that God has erected. Guys, the brick and mortar is not the church. The church that God is building here is you, Trevor, and you, Travis, and every one of you young people, and me, Mark, and Heidi, and Andy, and Jen, all the way around. We go all the way around. This is the church that Jesus is raising up. This, this erection, the erecting of the church here at Battlefield Baptist Church. And so Paul's reminding the church that, one, it was God who had cultivated and cared for them, and it was also God who had founded and established the church. Certainly, like I said, Paul was used to start the church, but notice what he writes in our text. Look at verse number 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice what he says. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation... And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say, I'm the foundation. He says, I've laid the foundation. See, Paul's saying, it was God who gave me the grace, the strength, the power, the ability to reach, teach, and minister to these people. It was also God who enabled me to get these people to come out and worship him and serve him and be joined together as a called out assembly of baptized believers. And so here's the reality, guys. It didn't matter where they met. It doesn't matter where we meet. If we meet in the middle of the field out here and we worship God, we are the church. We don't have to sit in this pew or this room to be the church. We are his church. And so it didn't matter where they met. What mattered for this church is that they had a unified trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord. They had a unified belief and worship for God. And they had a unified purpose and mission to reach not only the world, but their neighbors. Starting with their neighbors, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, Paul had planted, Apollos had watered, but God gave the increase. Paul's message here in 1 Corinthians 3 is not for individuals. Don't, don't misconstrue this passage. It's for all of us together as the body of believers here at Battlefield Baptist Church. Notice verse number 10, this phrase. He says, I have laid the foundation. What foundation did Paul lay? He laid the foundation of Jesus Christ. Look over on your Bible, and, and for most of you, if you have a Bible, I always tell people to look at their Bible, bring their Bible, because notice in chapter 2, notice what Paul says in chapter 2. We're talking about what foundation did he lay? Notice he says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words as man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, 
Notice what he says, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the what? The power of God. Paul's message was always, always, always the same. His message was simply this, that it's Jesus and only Jesus that sets the captive free. It is Jesus and only Jesus that sets the captive free. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the Gentiles. Remember, in chapter 2 is where he talks about, but God, wherewith his great love hath loved us, right? And, and he's quickened us. And he's, he says in Ephesians chapter 2 that the wall or the partition has been torn down. There's no separation between Jew or Gentile. And you get down to verse number 14 and he's speaking to Gentiles. And he says, God is our peace. I hope he's your peace this morning because we live in a crazy set of times. And if you don't have the peace of Jesus in your heart today, I want to beg you, don't walk out of this room without that peace. Don't, if, you, if you don't find anything else about this message about the church building upon the right foundation, don't walk out without the peace of God ruling and reigning in your heart. This is what Paul told the Gentile believers. In fact, in verse number 18, after he says in verse 14 that he's our peace, in verse number 18 he says, through him, speaking of Jesus, we actually have access by one spirit unto the Father. He says, see, remember, we have to be careful. A lot of people want to go to uh, a religious man or a priest or somebody else to pray. We don't need to do that. You don't need to come to me and say, Pastor Greg, I, I need you to pray. No, you, you can go to the throne of God's grace and find help in your time of need. You don't need me to do that. Now, I certainly love to pray for you, and I'd love to pray with you. I, I'm willing to do that. I want to do that, and I do do that. But, man, what a wonderful privilege that we can go to the throne of God's grace without somebody going on our behalf. Notice verse number 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. It reveals this. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He's speaking to Gentiles. He says, You're no more a stranger. You're a fellow citizen. You are part of this foundation. Notice in verse 20. You're, he says, And you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now let's be careful there, because a lot of people say, See, there it is, the apostles and the prophets. They're the foundation. Stay with me. He says, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom, he says, you or ye are also built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Gentiles, what he's saying is you're not merely an addition. You're not merely an add-on project. You know, like, anybody ever add on to their home? Like, we want to add a sunroom. Paul's saying, you're not a sunroom, Gentiles. You're part of the building. You're part of God's temple. You're not, you're not an afterthought. You're part of God's plan. And see, understand this. The apostles and the prophets, the reason they're mentioned here is because of the divine revelation that came through them. God used the prophets. He used the apostles to communicate what? Jesus Christ and his word are the foundation of the church. Not the apostle Paul. Okay? 
Don't get, don't get twisted. Now, a lot of people get in the, the apostolic doctrine and, and, and they start talking about the apostles are the foundation of the church. No, Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. He said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church, not the apostles' church, not the prophets' church, not your church. He said, I will build my church. And there's good news about investing and serving and being a part of the local New Testament church. Because in that same very sentence... He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You want to invest your life in something? Invest it in the Lord's work. Listen, in other words, he, what Paul was saying is that Jesus Christ is the edifice or the building. Without Jesus Christ, rather, the edifice or the building could not be sustained. So it's vital that we understand the person and the word or teachings of Jesus Christ are the only foundation for us individually and they're the only foundation for us corporately as a church. And so when I think about the person of Jesus Christ, I'm reminded of uh, several passages. And I'm just going to show them up here for you so that you can see them. Notice in John 3, speaking of his person, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, he says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Notice this phrase in verse 15. He says that whosoever believeth in him, speaking of himself, should not perish, but have eternal life. In John chapter 8, verse number 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I, he's speaking of himself, he says, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth, notice what he says, who? Me. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you go down a few verses in John chapter 8, to verse number 23 and 24, I love these verses. And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, Jesus said, I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. Notice, for if ye believe not that I am he. What is he saying? He's saying, for if you don't believe that I'm the son of God, notice what he says, you will die in your sins. That's pretty straightforward. That's not very comfortable, comfortable for most folks to hear. But this is what Jesus said. He said, I'm the light of the world. Listen, if you don't believe that I'm the Son of God, if you don't understand that I am He that God sent, if you don't understand that I am He that God raised from the dead, you will die in your sins. And so we have to understand our foundation on Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, in verse number 10, the Bible says, Be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by, notice the word, him, doth this man stand here before you. You know what was going on. They had raised the, the guy, the lame man there at the temple, and everybody was wondering what was going on. Peter and, and uh, John, what's going on here at this time? And then he says this in verse number 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. And then verse number 12, very familiar verse of scripture. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. These are, listen, we could go on and on, but for time's sake, we're going to stop. We, we can't go further for time's sake, but you could go on all day looking at passages and verses that relate to Jesus Christ in his person as the foundation, not only of your faith, but of the church. 
But also, we look at Scripture and we understand that through the apostles and the prophets came His Word. And so we see that His teaching, Jesus Christ's person and His teaching, are in crucial, crucial element of the church. Notice what the Scriptures say in John 3, 34. For he whom God has sent speaketh the words of God. In John 6, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth or maketh alive, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus says, they are spirit and they are life. He says, my words are spirit, my words are life. In John 8, 51, he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. In Mark 13, 31, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Go back to verse number 10. Real quick, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Understanding that Jesus Christ is our foundation individually and corporately, which he is, it then becomes crucial how you and I build our lives, and it becomes crucial, Battlefield, how we build his church as we set out to do so. Notice what verse 10 says. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But, this is what I want you to see, let every man, how many man? That's every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. That's all of us. It says, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I want you to see a very familiar passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 7. And once you're there, look over to verse number 24. In verse number 24 of Matthew chapter 7. Very, very familiar. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> Notice what Jesus says. This is him teaching and he says this, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. I just finished telling you that Jesus Christ, his person and his sayings, his word, are our foundation. Now, speaking of his foundation, notice what he says. He says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which buildeth his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon what? Take a time out. Compare scripture with scripture. What did Jesus say to Peter? Thou art Peter, and upon this I will build my, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Scripture confirms scripture. Watch. He says, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Why? Because it heard and it did the sayings of Jesus. Now notice verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The reality of that text there in Matthew chapter 7, along with our text from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, is that our lives, quite frankly, and our destinies, our lives and our destinies, when I speak of a destiny, I speak of eternal destiny, 
are determined by Jesus and his word. What we do with Jesus and his word. I want to be so loving that I want you to get what Jesus said to his disciples. He was speaking to those that loved him. And hopefully I'm speaking to people who love me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I am the rock. I will build my church. I, if you really want to put it this way, I'm in charge. Is what Jesus is saying. Everything. I created the world. I sustained the world. That's what Colossians 1 talks about. By him and for him. All things consist. And so it's so important. Our destinies, our lives are determined by what we do with Jesus and his words. Look back at our text in Colossians 3. Notice verse number 12. Verse number 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Whether we realize it or not, we are all building something. Here's the reality. You didn't even know it. You're a contractor. Whether you throw an errant nail into your son's foot or whatever you're building, Pray for Brother Jerry. I, I took his uh, air gun license away. He shot Sonny in the foot with a nail. Uh, that's how they communicate love in their family. <laughs> they just love one another. <laughs> Maybe Sonny wasn't moving quick enough, and Dad said, you better get moving. going to make you dance a little. <laughs> Guys, whether you realize it or not, whether I realized it or not, we're all builders. You're building something. The question is, are you building gold and silver? Are you using materials that are equated in Scripture to gold, silver, and precious stone? Or are you using materials that are equated in Scripture to wood, hay, and stubble? Because the reality that I see here is that verse 13 states that one day every man's work is going to be seen for what it really is. Because one day, soon and very soon, whether we like it or lump it, whether we like it, love it, or lump it, or whatever the, the phrase may be, is that Jesus says in his word that there's going to come a day when everything is going to be tried by fire. It's going to be tried by fire. And the things that aren't right, the doctrines that aren't right, the false teaching, the, the living by your own merit, the living by your own thought and your own way, those things are going to burn up. Only the things that are that are that are, are right biblically and scriptural are going to make it through this trying of fire. And so how we build the church is incredibly important. That's why I'm saying healthy churches build upon the right foundation. But not only do we build upon the right foundation, we use the right materials to build on that foundation, right? And so we, we see this in scripture. It's going to be tried by fire. In Matthew chapter 7, we just read it in verse number 24, gives us the best recipe for success. It gives us, one verse gives us the best recipe for success. Look at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine from his word and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which builds his house upon a rock. Listen, what a tragedy. I just put it this way. 
What a tragedy it would be to continually hear the sayings of the, war, of the Lord and fail to heed them. I'm so privileged I hear the word of God every day, but I never do them. How sad would that be? Lord, I heard your word. I was in your house every Sunday and an occasional Wednesday. And Lord, I opened my Bible every once in a while and I saw what you said. And I understand what you said. And then he's going to say, what did you do with my word? Well, Lord, I knew it. The Bible says here, it's not good enough just to know it. Because remember what the other verse talked about. I think it's verse 26 in Matthew chapter 7. It says, the foolish man hears the sayings of his, but he doesn't do them. See, he doesn't. He, he hears, but he doesn't, he doesn't let the hearing translate to doing. And so James talks about the man who hears but doesn't do. And so, uh, I, in fact, I put down hearing without doing leads to deception, is what James says. If you hear God's word and you don't do God's word, it basically leads to deception. So how do we wrap this up? How do we put our arms around this, this big idea this morning that healthy churches build upon the right foundation? Well, I think that Jesus and his word, as our, with it, Jesus and his word as our ultimate foundation, we're given two options. We're given two options today. You can walk out of this room, you can make a determination, you can make a commitment, you can recommit yourself to Christ today, and you can say, Lord, help me to use permanent materials. Help me to start building with the gold and the silver and the precious stone. Lord, forgive me for building with wood, hay, and stubble. Lord, forgive, forgive me for doing that. Lord, help me, to do, help me to build the right way from now on. Today is a new day and the Lord's mercies are new every day. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 tell us that clearly. His mercies are new every day. Lord, help me to start building with the right permanent materials. I don't want to build with perishable materials anymore. What do those things look like? Incorruptible versus corruptible. Things that will last forever versus, versus things that will deteriorate and decay. I want to suggest that you and I build our lives in this church, his church, with permanent materials that are evidenced, that are evidenced in our lives with the Holy Spirit's influence. You say, what materials are you talking about? Galatians 5. You want to build the church? Battlefield, you want to build a church? Why not use the materials that have already been given to you? If you truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you truly receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Guys, show up Galatians 5 in 22 and 23. Notice it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, let's start building with this. Let's start using these materials. What would it look like if we started building with love and joy and peace? What would it look like if we had a little bit of long-suffering for one another? What would it look like if we had a little bit of gentleness for one another and goodness and faith? And we stopped walking by sight and we started walking by faith. What would it look like if we went over and we apologized to our neighbor because we offended them? Because we said something that we shouldn't have. We did something we shouldn't have. We responded in a way that was, was unbiblical. What would that look like? Notice, it goes on. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, 
temperance. Against such there is no law. Listen, if we're going to be and continue to build a healthy church, let's build with something beneficial. Let's build with the products and the materials that are beneficial. And guess what? You don't have to go and acquire them. If you know Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you, the good news is the fruit of the Spirit are these things. You have access in your account. You don't have to go and strip somebody else's account. I don't have to come and take it from Jeff. Jeff has it for himself, right? Laura has it for herself. They don't have to come and appropriate my fruit of the Spirit. They have it for themselves. And so every one of us have the ability, every one of us who name the name of Christ, who are part of his church, have the ability to start building a healthy church based on his fruit that he gives us. In 2 Peter 1, we don't even have time to go there. We really don't have time. In 2 Peter 1, I want to encourage you guys today. Read 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 11. Do your due diligence. It's funny to me that we do due diligence in everything in this world except for our spiritual lives. We'll do due diligence when we sell a house. We'll do our due diligence when we buy a car, right? We'll do our due diligence when we do these, these big things. And yet, it, can there be anything greater or more important than our spiritual, eternal destiny? Oh, do our due diligence. Read this, 2 Peter 1, 11, because this passage also lists a number of things that are lasting, things that are essential in the life of a healthy church. And then also, I think it's important that if we're going to build a healthy church, we not only access the fruit of the Spirit that's been given to us, that we add unto our faith those things that we see in 2 Peter 1, and, and on and on. But I think it's important and imperative that we keep witnessing, that we keep working, and that we keep praying for the Lord to use you and I, just like he did Paul. Paul said, for the grace of God. It was God's grace that enabled me to do this. That we would pray that God would use us to reach more living stones. Did you know that you're a living stone? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, notice these two verses. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 4 and 5, to whom coming as unto a living stone, this is speaking of Jesus Christ, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Notice what Peter says, ye also, he's speaking to the Jewish believers who were dispersed over the world at that time, he says, you also as lively stones, are living stones is what he's saying, are built up, what does he say? A spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I don't know about you guys. I'm tired of building with perishable materials. Been there, done that, tried it. Could probably write a small book on it. Living by the arm of the flesh. Living by wealth. Living by the influence of the world living by the dangerous teachings of the world. Mom and dad, be careful who you listen to. Don't allow the world to raise your children. Well, there were four or five amens. You wanna know why we don't amen and why it gets real quiet when I make a statement about don't let the world raise your children? Because we're probably doing just that. The reality, am I right? Ask it again. 
Don't allow the world to raise your children. Here's the thing. We need to heed Paul's warning to the church. Remember, he said, he said this. He said, take heed how you build upon. Notice, and we wrap up the message. I, I promise, we're closing. Verse 14. Notice what he says here at the end of our text that Travis read. Verse 14. He says, take heed how you build upon. And then in verse 14, he says, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's works shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Verse number 16, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Notice this. He says, know ye that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defileth the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now I want you to pay attention. Here's the thing. I said one day... The building's going to be inspected. The great building inspector's going to inspect the building. But here's the thing. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as that great inspector, is either going to approve or he's going to disapprove of how we built our lives and how we built his church upon his foundation. So as we close, it's important to understand the building that's being identified here in this passage is us as a church. Not me individually, not you individually, but us as a church. Look at verse 16 again. Because number 16, verse 16, a lot of people try to apply this to the individual. They say, oh, let's apply it to myself. That doesn't apply to the church. Hold on. Context, history is king. You have to do a, a whole hermeneutical study of the passage. Context, historicity, uh, and, and grammar, everything works in together. Paul is writing a letter to who? Who? The church who's struggling. He's not writing a letter to one member of the church. He's writing to the church. And by the way, notice the word ye. The word ye is plural. He says, know ye, church, that ye are the temple, singular, okay? And this, this word temple here is a word that actually stresses the presence of God. And so what we see is the word ye is plural. Ye are the temple of God, singular, okay? And so what Paul is saying is you, church, as believers at Corinth, are the temple and the sanctuary in whom God, now his Holy Spirit, dwells. You're the, you're the sanctuary where the Holy Spirit dwells. In the Old Testament, God's presence was filled in the temple, the building. Now, today, his presence resides inside of us. And as the body of believers, he resides in us. See, his presence dwells in the sanctuary proper, which is every believer, which is what makes verse number 17 so incredibly important to us. It's so incredibly important because Paul is concluding that if any person, you ready for this? Any person, not a group of people, but any person within the church that defiles the church, he says, you defile the church, you're going to face a similar judgment in your life. You say, how do you get that? Well, because in verse number 17, that word defile and the word destroy are the same exact Greek word. And so when you study it out, basically it means this. It's the word phthero. Phthero. It's, it's a very hard word to say. It's a P-T-T. It's a, it's a P-H-T-H-E-I-R-O. Phthero. And it actually means this. To shrivel. To wither. 
to corrupt or to destroy. And so God says, anybody in the church, you defile the church, I will defile you. I will destroy you. Pretty important that we all be on the same page of music, so to speak, don't you think? My wife says, how do you put a pretty bow around that message? Well, we put a pretty bow by asking God, Lord, help us. Lord, just help us. We, we know that we have failed. We know that we have built with improper materials. We know that we are not, we're not good sometimes with those nail guns. We understand, Lord, that we are weak sometimes. But you are strong. And so God, help us to build with gold and silver and precious stones. Help us to use those, those tools that we find that you've already given us from the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, and, and temperance, and all these things. God, help us to use those things. Help us to, to build to our faith knowledge and add to our knowledge virtue and praise and all these things that we find in 2 Peter 1. God, help us to do those things. God, help us to be on our knees. God, help us to be witnessing. God, help us to be willing to work for you. After all, you did it all for us when you went to the cross. God, help us to build your church with right materials on the right foundation. And when we do that, when we do that, when we start building the church with the fruit of the Spirit and those things we find in Scripture, this church and any other church that uses to build those with those materials will certainly experience a great measure of help. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.